and welcome to the Department of Metal Antiquities. Where we remember what everyone else has forgotten. It is Nick Cameron of Glacier Musical, joined by my good friend, the excitable, exceptional, wonderful guitar playing minstrel from Leeds, Duncan Evans. How are we doing today? I'm doing all right. Thank you. I like you. You saved that. You were almost stuck there for the intro for me, but you pulled it out of the bag. Um, yeah, it did sound quite excitable there, didn't I, in my intro? Um, yeah, doing all right. It's still it's rain, rain, rain here. I think I said that last week, and it's been even more rainy this week, I would say. In fact, there's been a rain warning, whatever that means today. I think it just means it's constantly raining um but uh yeah but it's it's fine you know all good all rock and roll how about yourself how are you a doing rain warning okay that's interesting it uh it's 31 degrees here right now wow and no, we're down to about like 17 or 16 or something yeah just for the record 32 our high is going to be 32 which is uh 90 something fahrenheit I yes. just changed it to Celsius, so let me change it back. Uh, I've got to mow the lawn a little bit later, so really looking forward to that. Uh, I can detect the irony in your voice there, Nick. Yeah, I mowed a lawn yesterday, too, so I love mowing lawns, apparently. Um, you mowed the same lawn yesterday? That must have been no, a different lawn. Different lawn, different lawn. Okay, okay. We we had a, another moving sale at our old place, and I, while I was there, I did some yard work, and my God, I hate yard work, and I have to do it through two yards now because I can't afford to hire somebody to do it. <sighs> oh, well. Fun. Complaining, Sounds complaining, fun, complaining. Man. But I've had an interesting All weekend right. so far. On Friday, I saw West Side Story, and on Sunday, I saw Barbie and... I'm gonna tell you between both of those the both of those shows, that I think the real lesson is don't have a rumble. Okay, all right. That's my well, opinion. I saw, I saw Indiana Jones a few days ago. In fact, I think it was, I think it might have been this time last week. But anyway, um, yeah, which I I do recommend actually. The previous one about the Crystal Skulls was not so great. It all got very silly when. Those stereotypical aliens with the uh, funny shaped faces and the big eyes got involved, but this one had none of that and was much, much better. I um, I will be seeing it, and in the meantime, I'm going to pretend that the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull did not happen. Yeah, I think this film pretty much does that as well. I don't think there's any follow on whatsoever from the Crystal Skulls one. So well, I think that's a smart way to go. But uh, what uh, what are we going to talk about today? Okay, well, we have often um, covered bands that you might call hair rock bands or albums that are in that type of style released a few years too late. Um, Coverdale Page being a prime example that springs to mind. That was um, never hair metal. Come on, that was Led Zeppelin three and a half. Yeah, I think he was getting into hair metal territory. I, I, you know, uh, anyway, whatever. But um, this is a similar a similar thing. This is members of Rats and Cinderella in something of a glam metal supergroup um, called Arcade. And this is their self-titled debut album from 1993 featuring Steve Piercy, singer of Rats, and Fred Curry, a drummer from Cinderella, and various um, other players who had been in I guess sort of more CDE list glam metal bands um, who I'll be honest, I haven't heard of either the players or the bands and I can't remember them to recite them now. Uh, uh, Frankie Wilsex yeah. on guitar, Donnie Syracuse on guitar 
and Michael Andrew on base. Michael Andrews. Andrews. Yeah, yeah. I don't know who any of those people are, and they don't even have Wikipedia entries. And I did some Googles on this because the the information is limited, shall we say. So this yeah. is truly forgotten. I don't think that anybody noticed contemporarily it's so forgotten. And so I guess for the people in the back, we should probably discuss, in case somebody doesn't know, who these people are. Stephen Piercy, of course, is the lead singer, the on-again, off-again lead singer of Rat. He was very famous for getting into a feud with Lars Ulrich before either of them were signed. And Rat is also also appears on the very first Metal Massacre with Metallica. So for about seven or eight days, Rat and Metallica were label mates. Mm-hmm. Right. And of course, Fred Corey. Fred Corey is interesting to me because I don't know if you know what he looks like. Not really. I'm looking yeah. at a photo now of the whole band. Um, I can't see anybody who looks particular. I can see a guy with a mustache. Maybe that's what you're referring to. Well, I just remember him being not terribly glammy. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't really fit into Cinderella. Yeah, he... there's a guy with a mustache. It might be him. I I don't know, but yeah, okay. I remember him having curly hair and wearing a jean jacket in uh, the video for Nobody's Fool. So right. that interesting that you know he started a new glam band after the the explosion of of uh, or the death knell of hair metal interesting that you brought up coverdale and page though because this album is actually pretty contemporarily close to that record Nin- they're both 1993 yeah, exactly yeah yeah and did it come out did this album come out at the right time do you think or did it come out several no, years well- too late well, I mean, look, grunge was massive at this time. Grunge had already had its rise, you know. Um, Nevermind had knocked Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 off the album number one spot. Um, I don't know, was that 1991, I think? So, you know, grunge was massive. Hair metal, glam metal was kind of dead. So, yeah, obviously some people were holding on to that. But, um, and in a way, you know what, in a way fair play to them because the guys that didn't hold on to that and tried to go grunge when they'd been hair metal that usually worked out a lot worse um but yes i don't think this big um glammy poppy um hairspray sort of metal thing was big at that time at all i think it was very much on the down in fact i think that's why he left rat in the first place stephen piercy i don't know if they split up at that time but he definitely left um but then just went on to do another kind of glammy metal band anyway so there we go i mean really rat's career wasn't you know i'm i'll take the hate mail if i deserve it for what i'm about to say but I never thought Rat's career was all that impressive, to be perfectly honest, compared to compared to, you know, the A-listers, because they've got, you know, they have one, one, two, three, four, five. They have five releases in, you know, in context to hair metal, a couple after it had died. Their last one was 1990 called Detonator. I've never heard of it. Before that was uh, Reach for the Sky. No recollection of ever hearing anything off that one. Dancing Undercover in 86. Again, no recollection. 
and Invasion of Your Privacy, 1985. I did have a I did have a concert T-shirt of that one uh, contemporarily. So in 1986, I was wearing a Rat T-shirt with that album cover. And then of course, nice. that Out of the Cellar in '84, which was their big breakthrough. So I feel like it's probably not unfair to refer to Rat as a one-hit wonder with diminishing returns. I, I don't feel. I don't feel like they ever really held on. I did see them in concert a couple of years ago. At least, you know, what passes for Rat in this day and age. Obviously, uh, Robin, their lead guitar player, had died a number of years ago. I don't believe Warren Martini was with them at the time. It's hard to say because it's, you know, festival circuit. <laughs> it is mm -hmm. what it is. Yeah, man. And I am looking up uh, Cinderella right now to get some more information on them. But while uh, you're doing that, I'll just go. Sorry. Um, yeah, the, the other guys in the band. So there's a guy, Frankie Wilsey, who also goes by the name Frankie Wilsex, changes the Y to an X, um, who used to be in a band called Sea Hags, who seemed to do all right. Um, Kirk Hammett produced their first demos. Um but I, I just, yeah, they released one album in 89 and then seemed to disappear. So they did all right for a minute and then went. Um, a, a band called Gypsy Rose also featured a guitarist called the, uh, Donnie Syracuse, who's in this band. So I've never heard of Gypsy Rose, but anyway. And then the bass player, Michael Andrews, was in a band called Nine Point Knot or Nine Point Zero. So there you go. Oh, and they were originally going to call this band Taboo Arcade, but they, they didn't. So there you go. That's even that's even worse than just arcade. Maybe, yeah. I noticed. Look, I'm just going to say this. I know you're about to talk about Cinderella, but this I'm saying. Oh, you know, they kind of ignored grunge and just did glam metal, which we'll find out about the sound of the record in a bit. But I do notice two possible. I don't know capitulations to the grunge aesthetic. Number one, their um, logo is an A, like the Anarchy A in red, white, and black, which is a lot like in the, in the um, I nearly said Kurt Cobain, Nirvana, Kurt Cobain's band, Nevermind Video, there's a woman dancing in a dress which has a very similar A um, thing on it, sign on it. So I don't know whether that's um, conscious yeah. or what, but there's there's that. And also when you look at the photo on the back of the album sleeve, they're not actually looking that glammy even though this is labeled on Wikipedia as a glam metal album and by a glam metal supergroup, um, they're looking, I wouldn't say they're looking grunge exactly, but they're looking, I guess, more seventies. They look, they've all got their long hair, but they're looking um, more restrained. They've not got big makeup. They've not overdone the hairspray. You know, they don't look like Motley Crue or Poison. Let's put it that way. They look more like the Black Crows or something like that. Also quite big at the time. So there you go. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking at the 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 um, the discography of Cinderella. Sorry, my brain is not functioning this week. Apparently, I told my wife I was going to take her to the other place to work, and I totally forgot to, or I totally forgot I said that. I don't remember even saying that, but that's besides the point. Um, as for Cinderella, they were you know they formed in '83. Their first album comes out in. Oh, do, 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 do. 1986, Night Songs, and it's a hit. It is a big hit. The aforementioned song I referenced earlier, or the previously referenced track, uh, Nobody's Fool, it was off that album. This is a number three Billboard chart. It hit number three on the Billboard charts. 
and mm-hmm. that's in 86 now mind you in 1986 the glam metal scene is turning already uh, there are two concurrent glam scenes there's you know the the traditional sunset strip and then there's the dirty sunset strip influenced more by guns and roses and mm-hmm. cinderella is the former not the latter even though they're from philadelphia slash new jersey but then their next album comes out, Long Cold Winter, another certified hit. It hits number 10 on the Billboard charts. Then Heartbreak Station, which is the first time I remember really hearing about Cinderella personally. My stepbrother had this CD in his car, and uh, I didn't get it. But it it dropped down to 19, so still a hit. But have you noticed that they're dropping down? They're, 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 slowing, they're slowing down. Their last yep. album... Still climbing comes out actually after this record. Let's see if Fred Corey is on that one because their last album comes out in 1994. And do, 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 do. yeah, Fred Corey. Oh, hang on. No, it says here he was in 1986 to 91, then again 96 to 2014. So he must yep. have not been on that one. He's only on one, he's only plays drums on one song on this album. Okay, right. There you go. And do, 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 do. but I'm going to point out the fourth album that we are discussing, Still Climbing, uh, is probably horribly misnamed because it did not climb at all. It did not achieve any hit status. It did not even make the top 100 on the Billboard chart. Nice. I guess. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they had completely fallen off. They hit 178 on the Billboard chart peak position. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah. So yeah, there's not a whole lot else in terms of the background of this. Basically, those guys had left their bands and they formed a new band with some other people who used to be in other bands. Um, there are a couple of notable things to say. But number one, this out this band didn't last very long. They formed in 91 and then had split up by 94, so the year after this album. They did release uh, a second album, A2, in 1994. And then there's also A3 and A4, um, which came later after they'd split up. I think they may have got back together. Uh, and then there was another one called Angry in 2011 as well. So I think these, I think Arcade kept getting back together. But in their original... Um, iteration they only lasted um for those sort of three years ish um yeah what else to say well let's just have a look at the album itself well it seems to have some okay reviews um it didn't do great chart wise it got to 133 on the u.s billboard chart and number five on the u.s heat seekers album which i guess i don't know what that is i don't That's know like- New oh it says new developing musical recording artists right okay um fair enough so they exclude all the big people and just look at the small the biggest of the small people so well, there you they, go. it did have a couple of hit singles cry no more and nothing to lose were both uh, they both hit the top twenties and you know top these are definitely twenty seven and twenty nine respectively yeah not bad and they, and they also had a third single which was um I've forgotten the name of now but uh I'll come back to that in, oh here we go messed up world also on this album which must have not charted because that's just not mentioned uh here so yeah and I think they just quite swiftly dropped out of consciousness um not not literally dropped out of people's consciousness and uh 
everyone forgot about them. And then eventually, I think um, the uh, the Stephen Piercy, the singer from Rat, went on to do a couple more other projects, VD, and then something, and then Vertex. Maybe we should do one of those. I don't know. Vertex has a member of, uh, oh, has someone who's played with Alice Cooper and Savitage and Megadeth, apparently. So there we go. But um, yeah, and then eventually he got back with Rat again. And I think Rat just kept reforming and splitting up over the years. I think they're still together now. I'm not sure if Pierce is with them, but um, but there there is an iteration. Now, yeah, current lineup, Stephen Piercy. There you go. So there okay. you go. And I'm sure they're packing them in at uh, the county fairs, quite frankly. Yeah, who knows? Um, another thing to say, RK did go on tour with Bon Jovi. So that was a pretty cool support slot for them to get. Um, but when did they I go on tour with Bon Jovi? What year was that? 1993. Oh, okay. Um, and I, I saw they... Bon Jovi in 1995. Although I guess they would have been broken up by okay. then. But they when I saw them, um, yeah. Steve Vai opened. Okay, right. Um, yeah, their second album um, sold 20,000 copies, which, like, I mean, I wouldn't mind selling 20,000 copies. That would be fine. But I guess for guys that have been in bands like Cinderella and Rats, especially when we're talking about the early nineties, when records still sold, um, that that's not, those are not good numbers. Um, so maybe that's partly why they split up. Who knows? I mean, that wouldn't even pay for the catering to that. Wouldn't need 20,000 copies. You wouldn't even make enough money to pay for the catering to, that, um, the Def Leppard spent on hysteria for that. Exactly. You need all the M&Ms with the, the brown ones taken out. When, it, it, when they were tallying up all their receipts for the re the recording of Hysteria, they had determined that they had spent $24,000 wow. uh, at a curry takeaway, takeaway place around the corner. Nice. I mean, over the years, I've probably spent about that much on curries, but that's over a slightly more prolonged period of time. This was three so, years. Yeah. I mean, yeah. three years, $25,000 in curry. That's a lot of curry. That is a lot of curry. Especially yeah. at 1987 pricing. Yes, you're right, man. Yeah, absolutely. But with that, I think we have wrapped up all the beginnings and we can start working our way towards Dancing with the Angels. Okay, well, Dancing with the Angels, track one. So this starts with stompy driving bass. Dun, 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 dun. And it kicks in with hard rock, bluesy slide guitar. Um, and then you've got um, Mr. Piercy's growly, snarly, screamy <laughs> vocals. Um, it's got a nice feel to it. It's that sleazy, swaggery, fast rock and roll kind of dirty, rough around the edges thing. Quite like it. This nice sort of um, odes to the stones and the faces, that type of sound. I don't mean specifically ripping off uh, riffs or anything, but that type of uh, sound. Um, great melodies. Um, pretty good song. Yes, it totally ignores grunge. There's nothing, there, there are no nods towards grunge, no um, acknowledgement of, of us being in a different era where glam rock's kind of dead at all, or glam metal. Um, there's a pretty good short guitar solo, I think most of the solos on this are nothing absolutely outstanding, but they're all solid. Um, yeah, look, I thought this was a pretty good opener. I mean, yeah, look, you know, looking through certain lenses, glam metal can seem a bit silly. And this does have some of those tropes, but I like the bluesy, dirty, sleazy, swaggery feel. Um, so for me, this is decent. This is good. 
Well, I mean, we have done a lot of hair metal and glam metal on the show over the years because there's a lot of fertile territory of things that have gotten forgotten, have have gotten have been forgotten. Let me use uh, something slightly less silly, but this is not what I was expecting. I was expecting, you know, that gated drum sound, the overarching synthesizers, that kind of stuff. I wasn't expecting a, you know, the best way I could describe this was a is a bit more Guns N' Roses styled glam rock. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, it is a solid, not spectacular opener. I guess that's the best yeah. way I can put it. And, you know, if you don't win, you got nothing to lose. I don't know if that works. All right. Well, this was one of the free singles, and I think this is the one that did uh, that got to twenty nine. Um, it's fastish, but slightly steadier driving rock. It's got a few minor key guitar harmony bits, so it's a little bit more metal, slightly less bluesy, swaggery, stonesy, and slightly more I don't know, quiet riot or something like that. More of those bluesy snarl vocals, and it's got one of those shout along pre choruses that was super popular in the eighties, where you know, you have a kind of gang chant vocals. Um, they can be cheesy, and yes, they, they are kind of cheesy here, but but they sort of work as well. The chorus is catchy, punchy, straight to the point, um, and there's some pretty good bluesy lead guitar bits. Um, a melodic but still bluesy guitar solo, and then it gets a bit twiddly as it goes on, and it's not bad. I think this is an okay track. I, I think it's quite good, actually, but I don't like it as much as the first one. I think it's a bit more... Um, standard, stereotypical, um, uh, whatever you want to say, a little bit more derivative, perhaps, um, is the word. So, yeah, but it's all right. Quite good. Very little I can add to that in terms of the description of the music. Spectacular job, as always. The one thing I, a couple of things I will say about this is one, when I'm listening, when I was listening to this song for the first time today, I didn't realize that this wasn't the first song, too. Oh, and you just thought this was the same song. Yeah, I, I just didn't notice that we we were on into a new song. So I don't know what that says about either one, because they both... I, 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 perhaps I was just distracted by the kid when I was trying to cook breakfast. I don't know. But yeah, it's got that, that big pre-chorus chanty shout-along stuff. And I think that's the biggest nod to 80s songwriting on this record. Probably, and, yes. Well, yeah. There's a couple of other bits coming up, but yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I don't like that kind of thing. And honestly, I don't even think I like pre-choruses. You know, just give me a chorus. You know, just call the pre-chorus part of the chorus. Or I guess you got to have to, I don't know, whatever. I'm rambling and I don't want to ramble because it's the calm before the storm. All right. Well, that's track three. Steadier again, but still on the faster side of things. Um, chuggy, bluesy, hard rock riffs with a bit more meat to them. Harmony, um, I've put harmony vox in vox. I think I mean harmony vocals in the chorus. Um, or maybe I don't mean it. I don't know what I mean, but there's some harmony <laughs> vocals. I, I mean verse, that's what I mean. There we go. Oh, verse. there we go. He riffs. And then the chorus is pretty catchy. And again, this is not bad, but I'm starting to feel like it's diminishing returns. Like this is probably not grabbing me as much as the previous track which didn't grab me as much as the first track, which I actually liked quite a lot. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty good, but it's not blowing my mind. Um, yeah, I know our, our one of our biggest uh, fans of the show and previous show guests, um, Danny, 
um, was saying when I posted that we were going to be doing this, that he loves this album. Um, and when I heard the first track, I could kind of see where he was coming from. Then by the time he gets to track three, I'm thinking, eh, not quite sure I'm on the same page as him with that. I want to disagree, but here we are. You know, again, I'm going to point out that Duncan referenced Coverdale Page, which came out the same year as this. And yeah, this is a lot like Coverdale Page, except that there's two big differences here. Coverdale and Page. Yeah. Yeah. Corey Piercy do not stack up to Coverdale and Page. Yeah. So, but you know what? Dry your tears and cry no more. Okay. So this was the big single. This is the one that got all the way up to the dizzy heights of number 27. Um, People seem to really rave about this one on the YouTube that I listened to. The guy had put in brackets on the, you know, the description where he wrote the uh, the different track references and where they come in. He put amazing after this track, like it was the standout track. Um, yeah, it starts with a really cheesy synthesizer doing that whole dramatic ballad thing. Then you've got these, you've got slow tempo and you've got acoustic guitar arpeggios and an ominous piano and the vocals come in and it's definitely the rock ballad. Um, now, actually, there's some pretty decent melodies and some good vocal harmonies. And actually, I kind of like the drama and the dynamics and the tension building in this one. Yeah, it's cheesy, but they're doing it well. So they're, I would say if you can imagine something like November Rain by Guns N' Roses, we're talking about the same sort of feel or estranged by Guns N' Roses, um, where, yeah, it's a bit silly, over the top, ridiculous, but it, you go with it because they're doing it in a dramatic and um, uh, what's the word? They're doing it with conviction and drama. Um, the problem is the chorus. When the chorus kicks in, it's like, no, I don't like it. It's just overblown 80s nonsense with big backing harmonies and just the usual trite, boring stuff that's been done a million times. Um so that ruins it for me. And the big cheesy middle eight section ruins it. The guitar solo is okay because it's over the dramatic verse bit, which I actually like. Um, but it's like the obligatory big guitar solo in the rock ballad. So for this one's kind of a no for me, but with the caveat that I, I actually do like the verse. As always, nails it. This one, and I'm I'm sure that if Stephen Pierce or Fred Corey ever hear this, they will be thrilled that you compared this track to two of Guns N' Roses' biggest, most dramatic and emotional hits. Well, maybe they'll rate us better than... Who was it who gave us a one-star review because we didn't like their album? Uh, Vinny Vincent. Yeah, hi, Vinny. Um, oh, he yeah. only listened to the one we did about him. Sure, 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 but sure. He rated us as very inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> but as for this song, yeah, and... <laughs> The problem with these 80s guys and 70s guys too, really, I should I'll lump them in there and some of the 60s guys. A lot of times they write these big emotional ballads or at least they want to. And they have nothing to say. Exactly. I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, let's just have a look at some of the uh, lyrics here. That They weren't great from what I remember. I'm just going to have a look. Yeah, ooh, it's lonely here. Ooh, it's lonely. Um, what have we got? 
Yeah, I always looked but never found a trace. I always knew, saw a smile without a face. Yeah. I can't it's, make time stand still, but I will survive, etc., etc. It's kind of like he rewrote the lyrics to Kisses a World Without Heroes. Right. From a previous podcast subject, Kisses Music from the Elder, their Dungeons oh, and yes. Dragons concept record. But, uh, you know, this this track is... It's just the diminishing returns. Yeah. And if this doesn't start to pick up soon, we'll all be screaming SOS. Yeah, that's my thought. And that is uh, track five, Screaming SOS. Well, this one goes back to the fast rock and roll feel with some of those minor key metal guitar harmonies. Um, some good catchy melodies. I think it's a bit forgettable, but I think it's not bad. And thanks to my hitting the wrong button, this may sound a little awkward. Duncan, please continue. All right. So I think we were talking about Screaming SOS, and I was saying um, I like the dynamics. There's They do some building with the drums and the bass working together. Um, and at this point, I started to also think, you know what? His voice is starting to grate on me after a while. It's quite a grating voice. Like, you know, it, grating is quite a good descriptor for it. It's... Ah! And it was maybe getting a bit much for me, but this was not a bad track, just not brilliant. Yeah, I mean, we are on, I'm sorry, we're on Screaming SOS. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's solid, not spectacular. It's at this point in the album, a lot of this really kind of fuses into one glob for me. And it gets harder yeah. and harder to figure these things out and that's a really bad thing to say if you're doing an album that we're going to do a track by track on when we start saying hey all this sounds the same and it's hard to pick anything out from the rest of it but that's what it is and at this rate we're never going home all right well that's track six and this is um more fastish, swaggery rock and roll. There's some nice riffs in this one. I would say it reminded me a bit of Leonard Skinner. It's got that um sort of all, almost country esque, bluesy, swaggery. I don't know, home cooked, um, warm sort of feel. And um, but it goes quite a bit more eighties cheesy pop for the pre-chorus. Um, and you know what? The chorus is pretty good for what it is. It's a bit poppy and a bit um. Uh, what's the, what's the word? Um, just just a bit um Kitchy. sugary. Yeah, yeah, a bit sugary saccharin, whatever. I don't know if saccharin is quite the right word, but anyway, um, a bit sparkly, uh, a bit glossy. Maybe that's the word. Um, it gets back to the swagger for a nice little mini solo, which I liked, and then there's a more metally solo later, which is all right, but it's best when he decides to play bluesy, which matches the backing. Um, when he's going more metal. In this solo, it doesn't really fit with the uh, fit with the backing so much. Um, again, not a bad track, a bit throwaway overall. Some good riffs, probably slightly better than the previous one for me. So we're in, you know, we're in like five point five out of ten for me, maybe here for the track or the album so far. Well, probably both, <laughs> really. To be honest, probably both. Yeah, and I mean, I wish I could. This is not a bad record, and. I'm going to save this for the sum up, but, you know, Never Going Home, it's another track on this record. And 
that's the best I could say about it. And I would say right now I'm beginning to wonder if this album is overstaying its welcome. Mm -hmm. Which tends to happen on the albums we cover. Maybe we're maybe I'm just old and I think albums should be a certain length, or you know, maybe it's a I bad mean, this idea. This one's 46 and something, so it's only just over the like they will have squeezed it onto one vinyl record, no doubt. Yeah, but I mean, some records sound better without the full 45. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Some sound better at 39. But with that, it's a messed up world. All right, well, that's track seven. This was also a single, but I guess it didn't chart because it wasn't mentioned in the chartings uh, list. Um, this is steady, bluesy, clean guitar stuff. Quite like the guitar riffs are very bluesy. Kind of ballad-ish vocals. Then you get a few stabs, a few big rock stabs, and then we're into the big rock chorus. Um, goes sort of double time into quite fast rock and roll again. And you know what? Yeah, it's nice and catchy and it's bluesy and it's pretty decent. There's a solo, which is I quite liked bluesy, a bit twiddly, but more in the blues vein than the metal vein. I don't know who does the guitar solos, by the way, because there's two guitarists. They may alternate. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, this is a pretty good song. This is better for me. It's got a good swaggery feel and there's just enough metal mixed in with the bluesy rock and roll. Um, and it's got a nice catchy chorus. So yeah, this this is better. I quite like this one. I don't love it, but it's not bad at all. This is one of those songs where the bands are trying to the, you know, the 80s bands that basically wrote songs about cocaine in the 80s are now trying to write things that have more meaning in the 90s. I don't know that he succeeded, but he's trying and that's this album has not even a foot, not even a toe, both in Sunset Strip and, you know, grunge. Just a little leaning, you know, kind of wobbling back and forth almost. And that's just that's just one of the things here. But yeah, I'm just looking at the lyrics and, yeah, I guess it's one of these quasi-political things where they're just sort of saying things are bad. Um, what does it say? Too many payoffs, the holy dollar, feed on your dreams, and then they will devour. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's fine. Um, nothing wrong with it, but it's not, I don't know, maybe he's just been waiting to write this song about political fat cats for 15 years, and nobody in rat would let him because they wanted to sing songs about round and round and you yeah. know, going down to the cellar and that kind of thing. But sure. uh, as it were, now we are all shook up. Oh, right. Well, that is track eight, and it's not a cover of the... Uh, who Was it Elvis that did all Elvis, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not a cover of that. I kind of hoped it would have been, actually, but it was Would have been more interesting. Maybe. Well, yeah, lead guitar riff to begin with, a sort of bluesy lead guitar thing on its own. There's some stabs in between. Again, we're into bluesy rock and roll, and it kicks in with a more metally rock and roll feel. Um some some of those some lead guitar melodies under the vocals and there's almost a bit of a punk feel about this with the the tempo i guess i mean not quite punk but that sort of motley crew thing um where they're a bit more rough around the edges they're a bit faster i guess the guns and roses sort of sound as well big shout along chorus and you know what i actually think this works quite well it just about avoids the trap of cheesiness i mean it is kind of cheesy but it's it gets away with it um, nice guitar solo with a lot of cool bluesy licks. So yeah, again, don't love it, but it's a pretty good track. 
probably one of the better ones, especially on the second side of the album. If we're going to look at it that way, you know, that's it's a bit of a break from the monotony, but there really hasn't been a whole lot of breaks from the monotony. And that's kind of the problem with this album. And that's why I think it's it's overstated. It's welcome a little bit. You know, eight songs. They're anywhere between four and five and a half minutes. Yeah. You know, you could go one more and it'd be fine. But then there's still three more after that. Yeah, I know so, what you're saying. You know, next is so good, so bad. Yeah, well, this is like it starts off. It's an uber cheesy, slow ballad feel. Piano, acoustic guitar. Then it kicks in with like the big snare. So you've got kind of um the big dramatic ballad rock ballad snare um for me it's pretty awful but i guess a lot of people like this kind of thing it's probably okay for what it is probably quite good for what it is i feel like guns and roses can get away with this when they're doing november rain yes it's kind of cheesy but they do it with a certain degree of class and a certain degree of over the top Ness and the songwriting's strong. Um, and Axel's voice, quite frankly, is more expressive than this guy's voice. Um, Agreed. this isn't up there. And the chorus, is it so good? No, is it so bad? No, it's just okay. It's big and catchy, but it's just been done a million times, and to be honest, better. Like the lyrics, how can something so good turn out so bad? Make you so sad. Would you understand? Yeah, it just feels very trite and a bit... It's that faux emotional thing. It's like, like you said yourself, they feel like they've got to write the deep and meaningful big ballad, but they don't have anything deep and meaningful to actually say. Um, So they just talk about a breakup, but overblow it in a way that makes it seem ridiculous. Um. And then there's the obligatory big major key guitar solo standing on top of the uh, big Empire State Building, probably. Stand. Empire State Building, there you go. That's the sort of thing. Um, yeah, look, it's fine for what it is. It's not my thing. I think you can... I don't mind stuff like this when it's done really well. I don't think this is done really well. I think it's done quite well. It's okay. You used the word conviction earlier, that they were singing and yeah. performing with conviction. And then when you described Guns N' Roses doing this kind of song, you did not use that word. And I think that's, right. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I'm going to compliment you either okay. way. Because with Guns N' Roses, we don't need conviction from them. We believe them. We believe that Axel has lived these things he's writing about. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Whereas they're trying to convince us. Yeah. And lyrically, uh, not the best. Musically, not the best. This is uh, this is the part of the record where everything starting of the wheels kind of fall off the bus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we might as well keep living dangerously. All right. Well, this starts with some really nice bluesy stuff with a slide guitar. Quite like it. Steady tempo. Nothing new, but it's pretty decent. It's got uh, the kind of stabby vocal and band riff alternation, a bit like Black Black Dog by Led Zeppelin. So he's, you know, he's doing his vocal bit, whatever he says, something bluesy. 
Um, and then they do a riff and then it goes back to him on the vocals, etc. Which, you know, it's nowhere near as good as Black Dog, but it's not bad at all. The chorus has some really nice riffs, actually. I've got to compliment the chorus. It's got that Guns N' Roses swaggery, dirty, rough around the edges, um, you know, grit underneath your fingernails type of feel and some really good riffs here and some good catchy melodies and a nice hook. So this is pretty good. Um, and the solo is good as well. The, the the way the solo works over the backing, which builds up gradually to a big climax. So uh, this is one of the better ones for me. You know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But at this point in time, I'm checked out. You so, so good, so bad was so bad and not so good that mm-hmm. it kind of it 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 gets its stink all over living dangerously right so next we have the completely unnecessary sons and daughters yeah this is less than two minutes long and it's um just an acoustic guitar based um interlude instrumental interlude there's a bit of synth in the background but very quiet um, it just builds up with layers of acoustic guitars. I mean, I, I don't mind it at all. It's it's dark minor key arpeggio stuff. Although, it kind of feels like, oh, we better do an interlude. I'll just jam some stuff that I've been messing around with on the guitar. I'm not sure it particularly fits with the rest of the album. It's totally fine. It's okay. Um, like yeah, it's a, a folky, slightly neoclassical. It's just completely unnecessary. Thing. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I don't mind it. It's not the I don't hate it. It's anywhere near as much as some of the other tracks on the album. Not that I hate any of them, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I got you. But yeah, it's pretty pointless. I agree. Yep. And since you got sons and daughters, you know the mothers got blues. So next we go on to mother blues. Yeah. Well, this is the last track, and um, I kept thinking this was going to kick in with the full band, but it didn't. It's mostly acoustic guitar based. Um, it's very Led Zeppelin three. There's they must have been trying to do a Led Zeppelin three style acoustic rock track. Um, it, yeah, a bit bluesy, but also lots of major key um, acoustic stuff. Um, bluesy vocals, a bit balladish, and he's doing a high, slightly higher voice, a bit more Robert Plant esque um, than normal, less snarly, and. Um, yeah, it gets more and more Led Zeppelin-esque as it carries on. The sort of guitar um, ornamentation uh, that he's doing is very, very Jimmy Page acoustic. Um, and there's a clean guitar solo, which is quite good. And then it ends. Yeah, it's it's not bad at all. I don't think it's a brilliant track. It's not as I think that's the problem. You, you're comparing it to Led Zeppelin Three, which is fantastic, and it's just not as good as that. But clearly, is trying to be that. Right, and. So you have to look at it. Well, do I judge this based on how it is? Do I judge it based on what they're trying to do? I don't know. Um, I feel like they're throwing these things in to break up the monotony, but you don't break up the monotony at the end. Well, yeah, you break up the monotony in the middle. That's when you. That's why you got to slow yeah, it down a little. It's a bit weird to have an acoustic interlude right at the end, then to go into a full acoustic track. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't get it. But I'm just going to go ahead and transition on into my sum up. Yep. I probably don't hate this near as much as it sounds like I do. And the thing about this album is you described it best when you said it's been done many times and it's been done better many times. However, mm-hmm. in 1993, 
we all didn't have access to every track ever recorded in our pockets that we could just listen to on our phones through an entire stereo if we so chose while cooking breakfast. So I could see where somebody who is slow to jump onto the grand grand, the grunge bandwagon might be rather enjoy might rather enjoy this this album. I could see where somebody in that time frame finding this and feeling like they found a, a flower growing in Brooklyn. That's a literary reference, by the way. That's a smart yeah, reference. Yeah, I didn't get that one, but okay. I think it's a flower. Maybe it's a tree. I don't remember. There's something growing growing in Brooklyn because Brooklyn's a cement jungle. But you know, I could see where somebody could somebody coming along, coming across this record in 1993 or 94 and feeling like they found some rare flower because it's, you know, it's like finding those extinct extinct fish in Australia, right? But yeah, it's a tree grows in Brooklyn, by the way. There we go. I was close. By, by Betsy Smith, anyway. Pretty sure I've read it. But so it's never bad. It never it never lo- falls to the level of bad. It never rises to the level of great. It's good enough. That's the best way I could describe it. It's good enough. And in terms of rating it, spin it or Bennett, it's cheesy, bordering on a little bit of. Uh, but you know what? If I found a copy of this on vinyl, which I don't believe has ever been pressed, at a low price, I would buy it. Yeah, do you know what? I pretty much agree with that. I think for me, this is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, this is a low spin it. Um, most of this isn't bad. There's a couple of bits that I went, oh, about, but most of the time I didn't. And there's loads of good bits. There's mm-hmm. a few really good bits. Um I like it the most when it gets bluesy and swaggery and a bit Guns N' Roses-y or a bit Stones-y and Faces-y. Um, yeah, you know what? There's loads of good stuff on it. Let's just forget about the whole grunge thing and just take it for what it is. Um, yeah, it was, you know, all those shout-along choruses and stuff, they're five or six or seven years too late, really. Um, but let's just forget about the timing of its release and judge it on its own terms and for its own merits. And yeah, there's lots of decent stuff on this. I don't love it at all, but it's a low spin it for me. It's a spin it, but only just for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the best way I can describe it. Uh, and that is everything I have for this week. Same here. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us for yet another week for yet another forgotten album. Thank you, Danny, for, uh hopefully still being my friend after you hear this and thank you very much for listening and always sharing everything it's greatly appreciated and as always there are a million podcasts that you could listen to and the fact that you have chosen to spend an hour with us is humbling and wonderful and greatly appreciated and because i appreciate you so much i'm only going to ask for two more favors of you the listener please give us a nice star review and please subscribe and with that, this is the this is the Department of Metal Antiquities, and we listened. Now it's your turn. <laughs>